Well, good morning. It's great to be here. It's great to see you today. Welcome, especially if you're new. I've seen so many new people here today that it's, it's just wonderful. And you're joining us in the second Sunday of a series that we're looking at this term. We're looking at 11 Sundays where we're focusing on what the Bible has got to say about the kingdom of God. It's the topic that Jesus spoke most about. And Tim took us through an introduction last week where he gave us an overview and he said that the kingdom of God is the central unifying theme throughout the Bible. There are other themes that can be traced through the Bible. We have provision and judgment and deliverance, God's covenants and God's promises. But all of these hang and can be traced back to the kingdom of God. Last week, Tim mentioned that God alone reigns as king and there is no equal. God's kingdom is eternal and it has no equal as well. So in this first series of the year, up until uh, Easter, around about Easter, we're looking specifically at what the Bible has to say about the kingdom of God. And it's worth reminding ourselves that actually the kingdom of God is not solely a physical place. The kingdom of God is the king having dominion over us. And we learned last week that kingdom is God's reign over us. Everything in his control, i.e. all of creation. So today I'm going to take us to the very beginning of the Bible. And whether you've been attending church for ages or this is the first time you've set foot in a church, these are some very famous chapters And you'll hopefully recognise the account of creation, which is found in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Now, I'm not going to read the full chapters, uh, both chapters in full, because I'd be here for ages, and time doesn't permit it. And I encourage you to read the chapters in your own time when you get a chance. They have so much content. It's rich biblical history, and it's definitely worth a read. And lots of us will be familiar with with the the chapters uh, at the beginning of Genesis. But sometimes familiarity can cause a hindrance. And I found that as I started reading and studying, that actually there's a depth and there's so much content in there. And, And I would say that I know the passage relatively well because I've read it so many times over the years. So it's definitely worth having a read if you have a chance. When a friend maybe asks you, why is the world the way it is? Then the answer is at the beginning of Genesis. We read in Genesis 1 and 2 how the world was meant to be. This was the blueprint for how the world was intended. And so today, I'd love us to get excited about God's kingdom. And today, I'd love us to get excited about the Garden of Eden. Maybe it's not something you've ever thought about, but today I'd I'd like us to really get going with the Garden of Eden. I wonder when the last time was that you got excited about something. Or maybe you've got something on the horizon that you're thinking, actually, yeah, I can't wait for that. Those who don't know, uh, sorry, those who know me know that this beaming smile can only mean one thing. 
It doesn't happen very often. Snowboarding. So on Thursday lunchtime, if you want to see excitement like a child on Christmas morning, pop along to Bournemouth Airport, where for the first time in seven years, I will be on a plane to Geneva. And I'll be strapping my snowboard to my feet for a couple of days on the piste. But that's the kind of excitement that I've tried to instill in myself about Genesis chapters 1 and 2. About re-delving into the narrative of God creating the universe. And there's so much in the Bible that we can learn about God's kingdom. My snowboarded mind has always been drawn back to Job 38.22. It's probably not on your list of favourite passages. But it's where God is rebuking Job. He asks him questions that that, uh, Job can't answer. And God asks, have you ever entered the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of the hail? And when I read that, my excitement builds. It's a glimpse of heaven. In heaven, there are storehouses of snow. Can you imagine what eternity is going to be like with a snowboard on my feet? (laughs) Calm down. Anyway, Genesis 1 and 2. So we don't read these words in this passage because they're a nice story. We read them because they are the account of creation, of how God created the heavens and the earth, how the universe was filled with stars and planets, how the sun and moon were formed for day and night, how the world was filled with plants and trees, birds and animals, and how we get to the pinnacle of creation as mankind is created. And these two chapters give us the details of God's kingdom, how it was established here on earth through mankind, and what the responsibilities were that God gave firstly to Adam and then to Eve. So my first point today is this, that God is the author of creation. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I know that. Okay, we're just doing a recap. But I want to make sure that we know this, that God is the author of creation. Genesis 1.1 says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The joy of these chapters is in the simplicity with which we, we can read it. And also the magnitude of what it's saying. This hopefully doesn't come as a shock to you, but actually the Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible was written, the original text was written in Hebrew, and it's so accessible. It's so accessible that this passage can be translated into every single language that has ever been discovered on this planet. The words used are simple to understand, Maybe you've been asked by someone, why is it the Bible doesn't give more detail about about how creation happened? There's nothing in there about the specifics. I'm interested to know what they want to find out. Were there quantum fluctuations at the beginning? How fast did the protons and neutrons collide to make deuterium? How fast did the dark energy accelerate My question to them is, would you be more convinced 
of the origins of the earth if you had the answer to these questions? I'd suggest probably not. Not only would early civilization not have understood anything that was being spoken about, but most of us don't have a clue either. God is the author of creation and it's accessible to each and every one of us. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he did it by speaking. Verse three of chapter one, and God said, let there be light. Verse six, and God said. Verse nine, and God said, and so on. There are power, there is power in the words spoken by God. Look at the second half of verse 16 of chapter one. It says this. He also made stars. Wow. Isn't that amazing? There's no massive drum roll that we're told of. As God prepared to pepper the universe with tens of billions of galaxies and stars. It's almost like a nonchalant comment. On day four, as he got to the end of creation, he was like, I've got a bit of time left. So... Just make some stars, shall we? (laughs) And he made the stars. All six days, God speaks and creation happens. He starts with the heavens and earth on day one. And by day six, he's finished creating the animals. God is now ready for that pinnacle of creation. And so in Genesis chapter one and verse 26, we can read, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. We as humans are separate and we're separate, we're set apart from the rest of creation. We're not just naked apes who've evolved from from a set of fortunate circumstances. You know, we are unique creatures. We are made in the image of God himself. That God is the only eternal reigning God who is the author of creation, who's created everything around us. The expanse of the universe was created by his words and all of nature's beauty was created by his words. And yet we are the pinnacle. I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to say, you and I are the pinnacle of creation. You see, you see that God saw that everything, God saw that everything was good he had made prior to mankind. God said, and it, and it is good. But do you know what? Once mankind was created, God said, and it is very good. It is very good. Isn't it exciting? God went from saying that it is good to it is very good because of the creation of mankind. And at this point, I want to pause briefly and take that in. I want us to to dwell in that truth. I wonder if maybe you could close your eyes while you're sat where you are. 
I want us to soak in that God has created you as you are and in his image. You are the pinnacle of his creation, each and every person here today. Maybe you've come here today and you don't feel like you're the pinnacle of what God has created. Perhaps you're broken. Perhaps you're broken by life. Perhaps you're broken by the words of others. Perhaps you're broken by circumstance. But please hear this from God, the God who is the author of creation. He looks down upon you today and he says, I've seen who I've created and it is very good. It is very good. And I want us to take that now. I want us to hold on to that and I want us to live with that today that God has said that. God has spoken and said, you individually are the pinnacle of his creation and it is very good. Okay, if you're still awake, you can open your eyes. <coughs> Second point, as we move into Genesis chapter two, I want to look at, at what the kingdom mandate is. So our, our sermon today is talking about the kingdom mandate given to Adam and Eve in chapter one and two. But before we look at that mandate that God gave Adam and Eve, I'd firstly like to, to look at a verse in Isaiah 43, because sometimes I need to remind myself of the real reason why God created me, why he created us, why he created mankind. And so in Isaiah 43, 7, God is, it's part of a dialogue that God is speaking. And he says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, you see, the primary reason for God creating mankind is for his glory. That's what he did it for. He did it for his glory. And it's something I've heard time and time again, and we sing it in songs, and we read it in the Bible, we pray it during prayer meetings, preachers say it in their messages. But what it actually means deep down is that first and foremost, our primary focus in life is to give God glory. Oops. That's why we're here. Part of the Westminster Catechism says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And by glorifying God in all that we do, we're then in a place to receive his blessings. And in turn, we can then extend God's blessings to others, whether that's through witnessing to others or to mission showing grace and mercy to others, giving financially, so on and so on. The list continues. These things we extend to others because first and primarily we give God the glory. Adam and Eve were benefiting from God's blessings as they lived in the Garden of Eden. And God gave them a mandate. God gave mankind a mandate through Adam and Eve. And a mandate is a, an official, uh, official order or, or a commissioning of something. 
So after a general election, we hear that the, that the, the government who has been formed have been given a mandate by the, by the country and by the electorate. And it's best we probably don't go down that route today. But it's that obligation to carry out what they've been asked to do. It's where we get our, our word mandatory from, which is compulsory or required by law. So the kingdom mandate that mankind received in Genesis 1 and 2 is God commissioning Adam and Eve to rule for him on his behalf. Let's read Genesis 1, 28 to 30. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the, on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. So Adam and Eve are given the authority to oversee and to rule and to manage creation. And it's difficult for us to find uh, a comparison in this, in this world because God's reign is so unique. His reign is not just in a physical place, but his reign is spiritual. It's over all of creation. And I was trying to come up with a, 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 an example where I could use King Charles. And I thought, it's just, it's not gonna work. Because God's reign is so different. It's so overarching. It's so amazing. And King Charles has reign, but over such a small, in the grand scheme of things, such a small area of the universe. You see, Adam and Eve are given a mandate from God because they are the earthly representatives. They're given the task by the king, by God, to rule for him and to rule like him. They're given the task to rule with authority on behalf of God over all creation and to rule as God would rule in his likeness. Psalm 8 was written by, by David, who himself was an earthly king. And he understood the mandate that God had given. And Psalm 8, I'm going to read from verses 4 to 9. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. And verse 6 is key. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas, Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Adam and Eve were mandated to rule the earth. And King David, who lived thousands of years later, was still part of that mandate. He was still given authority to rule over creation. Today, that mandate hasn't been taken away. We still have the authority to rule over creation. 
We are still God's representatives here on earth. But we're asked to be responsible for what we have authority over. But it's not just ruling for God, it's also ruling like him. And God would rule in so many ways. He rules with authority. He rules with power and wisdom. He rules with compassion and he rules with grace. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. And I don't think that we generally do a good job ruling as God would rule. Looking at that list, I fall down on so many of them. But it should have been easy in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve to rule like God would rule because they walked with him. They walked in the garden, they were there. They, 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 saw, the, they saw God. And yet when Adam and Eve sinned, the relationship was broken between mankind and God. And our lives are marred by sin. Which means that we want to rule for ourselves. You see, Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. And as I say to my kids, they made bad choices. They weren't fully focused on giving God the glory. They wanted the glory for themselves. And in return, they weren't responsible to carry out God's mandate. And likewise for us, we are failing with the mandate that God has given us. Now we could look at the first two chapters of Genesis and then shut the Bible and wonder, hmm, that's weird, why is the world different now to how it was in those first two chapters? Because that would have been the intention that Adam and Eve didn't sin and then they were still in a wonderful relationship with God and so on and so forth. But Genesis chapter three, we can read of deception and lies and disobedience which brought sin into the world. And it broke the relationship down that we had with God. And it's easy to get down about the fall and think, oh, if only it hadn't happened, we could have been in perfect harmony with God, but we really screwed it up. And, and ultimately, Adam and Eve submitted to the devil. It seemed like they'd only been in the garden for five minutes before they decided that actually they didn't want God's way, they wanted their own way. Genesis chapter three and verses four to five say this. You will certainly not die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But it's important to know that the fall is not the end. So even though the snake has been cursed, even though women will be subject to painful childbirth, even though man will have painful toil with his work, and even though we were banished from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve unfortunately ruined everything that there was, that close relationship with God. 
But there's good news as we read through the Bible. This isn't a sad story. This is a great story because a saviour has come. We had the first Adam and he failed. And now we have a new Adam. We have Jesus Christ and he has restored that relationship. And we can walk with him and we can talk with him like Adam and Eve did in the garden with God. And that blueprint that we looked at in chapters one and two, which mankind ruined, is back in place. As Adam and Eve lived in Genesis chapter one and two, so as we live today, that kingdom mandate still exists because of what Jesus has done for us. We are now in a relationship with God. And so I'd like us to finish today by just spending some time thinking about ways in which we can think about how we live our lives out day to day for God's glory. How today, how tomorrow, how for the rest of this week can we readjust our priority list? A priority list can only have one thing at the top. You can't have 10 priorities because priority means the thing at the top. How can we make it so that our priority is glorifying God? And as we glorify God and we encounter his blessings, we then assume the authority that is given to us in that kingdom mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve so long ago. We have that daily opportunity to give God glory. And so in my day-to-day life, there are many roles that I play. I'm a husband and I'm a father. I'm a neighbour to those who live around me. How can I make it my priority to give glory to God in my home today? I work for a building company and I have colleagues and clients I liaise with tenants in rented properties. I have suppliers where I buy materials and I speak with professionals, architects, etc. How can I make it my priority to give God the glory? How can I extend God's blessing through my work? There are other things. I'm part of this church family. I shop at the local co-op. I use Little Down Leisure Centre. I take my kids to their clubs. I meet parents at the school gates. The list goes on. Am I giving glory to God in all of those situations? It's a rhetorical question. But I can answer it and I can say no. I may think I am, but I'm not. The question's the same for all of us. My list is unique to me, but where are you going to find yourself this week? Where are you going to find yourself today? Maybe there are other situations where you engage with with people who don't yet know Jesus. Their salvation is not our primary concern. 
Giving God glory is our primary concern. If we give God glory, the salvation of others will be dealt with through the blessings that we extend onto others that we have received from God. God will deal with salvation of our neighbours. God will deal with the salvation of our family and friends. God will deal with the salvation of the people that you work with. If we're willing to be, to honour God, to glorify him, to give him the glory on a day-to-day basis, then, then we are doing what God has primarily called us to. If the band want to come up, just as I finish. Can I encourage you this week to be reminded of some things that we've looked at today? Can you be reminded that we are the pinnacle of God's creation? That we have authority over everything. There is nothing created that is higher than mankind. And he sees that it's very good. Can we be reminded that our priority is to give God the glory? And can we be reminded that as we receive blessings from God, that we extend those blessings out to others, that we give, we give others and treat others the way that God treats us. We are his vessel in this earth. If you read through the Bible, there are very few stories where God does stuff that isn't through a human. God is using Moses to part the Red Sea. God is using people to go around Jericho and the walls to crumble. God is using people to heal the sick, to feed the poor. God wants to use us. Let's give him the glory this week and see what he has to do with us and how he can use us today.